This week on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture, Father Justin Palmer talks about the motives of credibility. Why should we follow Jesus? Why be Christian instead of Muslim or Buddhist? Why belong to the Catholic Church instead of another denomination? Well, let's find out. Father Palmer is being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, Ken Billinger. Right now we welcome in Father Justin Palmer, and uh, he is uh, was ordained to the priesthood in June of 2017, June 3rd, 2017, after graduating from Kendrick Glennon Seminary in St. Louis. We welcome in Father Palmer. We're going to talk today on the motives of credibility, and so we're going to touch on a number of things, and let's jump right into motives of credibility. Where does courage come from? That's kind of our starting point here, and if you want to jump into that. One of the necessary things to have courage is to be certain, especially about the faith. One example I like to look to is the Maccabean martyrs in the Old Testament. We read this reading uh, a few weeks ago on Sunday, and it talked about seven brothers and their mother being martyred. And one of the reasons they could have courage to be martyred was that they were sure of the hope for eternal life. They had surety that God would raise them up again. Now, if they didn't have surety, if they weren't sure about it, it'd be hard to give up their life. Just like with any martyr, they must have that certainness. So if we're gonna have courage, we must be certain about our faith, about Jesus Christ, and we must believe him firmly. Uh, We're talking today about uh, motives of credibility with Father Justin Palmer. Uh, One of the things that I'd be curious about, too, as you entered the seminary, what did you believe about Jesus at that point in your life? So when I was entering the seminary, I had a family member ask me a question that I wasn't quite sure how to answer. This family member asked me, Justin, why are we not Buddhists? Or why are we not Mormons? I mean, how can we be sure that Jesus is the one we should follow? And at that point, I didn't quite have a very good answer for my family member. Part of the reason I had faith back then was because my parents told me. And I think that's common with most of us. We grow up believing what our parents believe. For me also, it's maybe my faith came from just a feeling of an experience of prayer. I had in a retreat once. I couldn't quite intellectually explain my reason for faith. So I wasn't quite sure why do I follow Jesus and not someone else. And that caused me to not have courage at all. Because going into the seminary, I thought, if I'm not sure that Jesus is the one, the true one who speaks for God, how can I give my life up to him? How can I give up a family? How can I say, Every day at Mass, the body of Christ, if I'm not sure this is the body of Christ, or how can I absolve sins in the confessional if I'm not sure, 100% sure that I am absolving sins with the words that Jesus gave us, that he did have the power to forgive sins. So these questions that came up, they caused doubt. I still had some faith, but it wasn't very strong. Because without certitude of the faith, it's hard to sacrifice. 
Hard to take courage. Mm. We, you talked about your belief of Jesus as you entered this seminary, but let's talk about gaining certitude. How do we gain certitude in, in our faith? So for me, in my experience, <clears throat> the question was, how do I know Jesus is speaking on God's behalf? Because I knew God existed. It's pretty clear, I think. I remember listening to Dr. Peter Kraft, and he talked about a few arguments for the existence of God, one being that, if you find a watch, you know there's a watchmaker. Um, or if you, there was a big bang, there must have been a big banger. Like, we just can't make ourselves. There was something that started it all. Mm. So God's existence wasn't a problem for me. But the question was, how can I put faith in Jesus? Now, before we get to the certitude part, I think it's important to talk about what faith is. We could talk about faith simply being believing without seeing. If Say Donetta comes in right now, and she tells me that my car is being towed. I don't see it happening, but I'm going to believe her. Right. I'm going to act on it, too. I'm going to go out and try to stop them from towing my car. Something that I hear, I don't see it, but I believe it. And we use this type of faith every day. I call it daily faith. In the sports page, KU beat Dayton. I never saw it, but I believe it by faith. Could be other ways of faith, such as um, the identity of my parents, who my mom is. I never saw myself being born, but my mom tells me she's my mom. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to believe it. Mm. So that would be like daily faith. Now, when we get to something higher, though, about faith in God and the Catholic Church and the Creed, we need something more than just daily faith. We need the grace to make that, make that leap of faith. And, but it's still the same thing. We still hear something, and then we assent to it. We choose to believe it. For instance, Jesus tells us he can forgive sins. We have to assent to that truth or not. It's our choice. The question is, why should we believe him? So those are the two types of faith we're going to talk about. The daily faith, such as Donetta coming in and saying, my car's being towed. Mm -hmm. And then the divine faith, such as, I can forgive sins, or the Trinity, three in one. Mm -hmm. So the question is, where can we place this faith? Where do we know God is speaking? Who, who can show us that God is speaking through them? Um, and we see an example of this in the Old Testament. If we look to Moses in Exodus 4, remember with the burning bush, and God told Moses, go back to my people in Egypt and tell them I'm speaking through you to them. And Moses' response is, how are they going to believe me? And God said, what's that in your hand? And it was a staff. And he threw it on the ground and it became a snake. And then God said, pick it up again, and became a staff again. And God said, that will be one sign I'm going to give you, so they, be they believe you, that you're speaking on my behalf. And he said, if they, don't if they don't believe the first sign, we'll have a second sign. With the leper's hand, Moses put his hand in his shirt and pulled it out again, and it was leprous. Then he put it back in and pulled it out again, and then it was healthy. So God's giving Moses signs, supernatural signs, basically miracles, 
to work so that there can be proofs that Moses is speaking on God's behalf. Because anyone can come and say, I'm speaking on God's behalf. If, if you tell me that I'm speaking for God, I'm not going to believe you unless you give me some credentials. Like, what can you do? Mm. Moses gave these signs. What can you do to give me that certitude that you're speaking for God and I can follow you? Right. So we see another example of this with Elijah and the prophets of Baal in, I think it's 2 Kings, when Elijah had a contest with the prophets of Baal. Elijah told the people, how long will you straddle the fence between serving the Lord your God and Baal? And then Elijah proposed a contest. So they had two bulls that were sacrificed and they were put on altars. And he said, we'll both call down fire from heaven. I will and the prophets of Baal will call down fire from heaven also. And whoever consumes the sacrifice, believe in that God. And the people said, sure, we'll, we'll agree to that. So the prophets of Baal went first, and they spent the morning dancing around, calling on their God. He never answered. They continued, but he never answered. And then Elijah even put water on his sacrifice three times. Then he called on God, and fire came down from heaven and consumed the sacrifice, all of it. And that right there is a motive of credibility. It's his credentials that this is someone who's speaking on God's behalf. This is where God is speaking. So yes, we need these miracles, these signs to point us where we should, to where we should place our faith. So I think I like to say is, if you make divine claims, you must have divine credentials. If you don't have divine credentials, why should I believe you? Right. Better have something to back it up. Right? Yeah. 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 So uh, we mentioned that if you have divine claims, you have to have divine credentials. So Jesus had divine claims like I can forgive sins or I and, the, I and the Father are one. I am the Son of God. Now we look at his claims and then his credentials. One of his credentials is that he founded a church. He founded it on Peter when he said, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. Now, if this were just a mere human organization, the scandals would have taken it down a long time ago, mm. beginning with Judas, and then gone through the Middle Ages, the Renaissance, all the scandals there, even to our day. If this, the scandals can be explained easily because the church is made up of sinners, but what can't be explained by just human power that's gone on for 2,000 years. That points to a divine power in the church. It's divine and human. The human side is the scandals, yes, but the divine side is that it's still going strong today. And even amid persecutions at the beginning, throughout the church's history there were persecutions, but the church continued on. So yes, the scandals, they're bad, and they show the weakness of the church, but they also point to the church, the fact that the church has something more than just human power at play. There's some divine power in it. So yeah, the church would be one of the divine credentials that Jesus gives. But he also gives us more. He gives us miracles. We can talk about the feeding of the 5,000. 
No mere human person can feed 5,000 people with just a few loaves and a few fish. Raising Lazarus from the dead. I can't do that. But if someone says they're from God, they speak on God's behalf and they can show that, I'm going to listen to them. We can see it even more clearly when he healed the paralytic in Mark 2. First he forgave this man's sins. And those around him said, who can forgive sins but God alone? And then Jesus said, so that you may know that the Son of God has power to forgive sins, he turns to the paralytic and says, rise and walk. So he performed that miracle to prove the point that he can forgive sins. It's those miracles that back up his claim. So yes, the church is one motive of credibility, one of his credentials. All the miracles he performed, that's another one. We can say another one is his, the prophecy. Now prophecy is basically for telling the future. And if we look to the Old Testament, we see many prophecies about the Savior, about Jesus, about the Savior being born in Bethlehem, that he will be a suffering servant, as we read in Isaiah 53. And when the, when the Savior comes, the deaf will hear and the dumb will speak. All these prophecies, no person can prophesy without help from above because we can't see the future. But all these prophecies, they point to Jesus being the one whom God speaks through. So yes, the church tells us about three motives of credibility, miracles, prophecy, and the church. And all these point to Jesus Christ having divine authority. So, Father, are there any documents of the Catholic Church that talk about these motives of credibility? Yeah, the uh, one place is in the Catechism, paragraph 156. It clearly speaks about the motives of credibility, saying that they give us surety of faith, that these reasons, these prophecies, these miracles, the Church herself, they give us certitude in our faith. Um, it points to a document called Dei Filius. And one thing that the church talks about is with the certitude, you can be sure of your faith. And that surety goes back to what we talked about in the beginning. If you're sure about your faith, you can have courage. You can give yourself up to martyrdom. Or you can live every day of your life sacrificing for something greater because you're sure that God is speaking through Jesus. So that helped me a lot in my journey, especially in the seminary, when I found these motives of credibility that the church offers. Well, let's go back to my, my family member's question in the beginning. Uh, she had said, why are we not Mormon or why are we not Muslim? Now, when I speak about other religions, I do so respectfully. I'm not talking about the followers of other religions. I'm talking basically about the objective evidence for why I should follow mm -hmm. any certain religious leader. Mm -hmm. So I look at Joseph Smith, who founded the Mormon Church. I don't see any of his divine credentials. He makes divine claims, talks a lot about what God is like, what heaven will be like, but he never performed miracles like Jesus did. There were no prophecies about him like Jesus had. So that tells me I'm not going to follow him, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. And 
that gives me certitude in my faith in Jesus. So that helped me answer my sister's question. Now, after that question was answered, which religion? The question came up, which Christian church to follow? Because I knew I had to be Christian, but there were so many different denominations of Christianity. Which one do I follow? Now again, when I talk about different Christian religions, different Christian churches, excuse me, I'm talking not about the people, because I think they all believe sincerely, but just the objective evidence of why I should follow them. And for me, I go back to when I was younger. Because my dad was Baptist, his parents were Baptist, my mom was Catholic, her parents were Catholic. So some Sundays we would go to the Catholic Church, and then go also to the Baptist Church. Now, as I grew older, I saw some differences in those churches. One of them was genuflection. In the Baptist Church, we never genuflected. Or chewing gum. We could chew gum in the Baptist Church. And I'm not sure why we couldn't do it in the Catholic Church, but... But then one big difference was the Eucharist. The Catholic Church put so much emphasis on the Eucharist and says it's the Son of God, it's Jesus Christ. But it wasn't in the Baptist Church where I went to with my grandparents. So as I got older, I had to ask the question, which one's true? They both can't be true. This little white host cannot be Jesus and not Jesus. It's either God or it's not. So I had to investigate more. I had to look, who started the Baptist Church? And why is this teaching different than what the Catholic Church has? So I found out that John Smith started the church in the 17th century, and he had no belief in the Eucharist. But yet before that, for many centuries, Christianity held faith in the Eucharist, the true presence of the Eucharist. So I had to think, what motives of credibility what credentials are with John Smith for changing that teaching, for not holding to it? He made a divine claim that the Eucharist is not Jesus Christ. Well, do you have miracles to back you up? Do you have prophecies to back you up? He didn't, so that helped me believe firmly that the Catholic Church, which was started 2,000 years ago, has the same faith from the beginning all the way today to today. That helped me be sure. This is where I'm supposed to be. This is where God is speaking. Uh, you know, you started talking about the Eucharist. That's one of the things I wrote down because I think about today and the Eucharist, and obviously the Pew research that was done just recently showing that about 30% of Catholics only believe in the true presence and, and the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. You know, which is really a sad number, and I think that number's really been that way for a long time because I think Gallup did a poll back in maybe the mid-'80s on it, really the, about the same numbers. So we haven't really seen any improvement there, if you will. But um, I think that's where this the, you talk about the motives of credibility, how maybe people understanding the Eucharist from that perspective would help them to realize the reality and what mm-hmm. we truly receive or the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. Yeah, I think it would help a lot, especially looking back to the history of the church and seeing how the church taught the Eucharist throughout her entire life, that it really is Jesus. And honestly, it's quite sad when someone gives up believing in the Eucharist. Um, I had one person tell me, how can anyone leave the Catholic Church if they truly know 
that Jesus is in the Eucharist. And I think that speaks volumes because if I really knew Jesus was in the Eucharist, there's no way I could leave the Catholic Church because I'd be leaving Jesus in the Eucharist. Right, right. So I think the Eucharist is the key for helping those who have fallen away from the faith to come back. Because if they believe in the Eucharist, they believe it's Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity, they won't get that anywhere else, only in the Catholic Church. So I think that's what we, that's what we need to focus on, especially to help those who have fallen away to come back to the faith. Well, it's, and it's very interesting because, I, you know, I've always said this too, I think people who truly know the faith would never leave it mm-hmm. um, because I think there's just, I mean, we have the truth of the faith. There's so many, you talk about so many things out there and, and the, the hundreds and thousands actually of denominations that are out there now. And so it's like, who's right? Mm-hmm. You know, who's right? Where yeah. Where do we go? Where do we follow? And... I love this because this is a great way. The motives of credibility really gives us a better grasp of, hey, this this is real. This is not mm-hmm. just a bunch of um, talk from a bunch of old guys sitting around, right? We the the church has been, you know, I always think about Justin Martyr and the early church and his first apology and when mm-hmm. he talked in around 150 A.D. about what happened and he described the Mass. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it was amazing and we have, we still celebrate the Mass today. We still have the same Holy Spirit that the disciples had. So all of this and, and you combine all this and put it together and it really becomes powerful to help mm-hmm. people understand um, just the power of the Eucharist. I, obviously, we know there's Eucharistic um, miracles and other things that happen as well. But again, that's I guess that's some credibility. That as well, is true. Right? I mean, we still have motives of credibility today with, as you say, the Eucharistic miracles because that points clearly to something beyond any human power. That points clearly to this being the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. Some question, uh, I got a question one time when I was explaining these to a person. They asked me, we seem to see so many miracles in the Bible from Jesus and the time of Jesus. Why do we not see so many miracles nowadays? I think one question, one way to answer that is that well, we do see them, such as the Eucharistic, the Eucharistic miracles. But I think another way to answer that question is we don't see them as much nowadays because we see the effect of them nowadays. That is to say, um, we have the perpetual mir- the motive of credibility in the church that is still standing. That we look back in the history of the church, we see all the mar- martyrs, like Peter, being crucified upside down. He would never have done that if he wasn't sure of his faith, that he saw Jesus rise. Mm. That tells us that, yes, Jesus did rise from the dead. So those miracles that happened so far back then, they carry forward, their power carries forward, and we can use them to help us have surety in our faith, in our Catholic faith. We need to take a short break right now, but stay tuned to Divine Mercy Radio. Whether you're listening via radio, computer, smartphone app, or on Amazon Echo, please know we'll be right back with more about the motives of credibility. Why should we follow Jesus with Father Justin Palmer? Motives of Credibility. Why should we follow Jesus? 
with Father Justin Palmer. Ken Billinger conducts the interview. The topic is motives of credibility. Our guest is Father Justin Palmer. I think that's been one of the things, and I I don't know, I mean, do you have any, I guess I've always wondered why 70% of Catholics don't believe in the true presence. I mean, do you, do you have any any hunches as to why that might be? What is it? Is it is it just that we just don't know our faith well enough, or what? I, I just love this though because I really think this gives some a lot of credence to what what the Eucharist tells it all about. I think part of it could be that we don't know our faith. I mean, that's pretty clear. There's some people just don't know about it, but. I think part of it also is how we treat the Eucharist. Just because sometimes people come into Mass and they receive the Eucharist and they just treat it like it's just a piece of food. They take it, put it in their mouth, and they just walk around and go talk to someone else or go back and look out who's all out there in the pews or their mind's somewhere else. Mm. And it doesn't really affect them. And that could be because they just don't know that it really is Jesus. I think if they knew that it was Jesus, if they really knew it, I think they would treat it more reverently. They would prepare themselves more to receive Jesus in the Eucharist. They would give a thanksgiving after they receive him. So I think if they did that, I would see two benefits from that. First of all, it would show other people that this is serious. Because when you see someone receive the Eucharist and go back and pray, and they're not just talking or mm. just messing around, but trying to pray, it says something. It's a good example for others. But also the more good communions we make, the more we grow in holiness, the more we get closer to Jesus. And the more we get closer to Jesus, the easier we can share him with others. We want to be so united with him, yes, because we love him, but then, after being so close to him, we can share him with others. We can think of Mary at the Annunciation. She said, yes, Jesus came down into her womb. She was so close to Jesus then. And then we have the visitation after that. She took Jesus to others, to Elizabeth. That's similar to what we can do. We receive Jesus in the Mass. We want to be so united with him and then we can go and take Jesus to others. But first we must be with him, because as he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Hmm. So anything else that you want to talk about as far as the credibility piece goes or yeah. that we maybe didn't discuss? Yeah, um, well we talked about the Eucharist and how uh, that played out with, when I was going to the Baptist church with my grandparents and then with the Catholic church with my, with my mom and, um, so that was, the Eucharist was one part of it, but another part was confession, because we know how important confession is, mm. but in the Baptist church, there was no confession either. And I look back to the Martin Luther when he broke away from the Catholic church, and at one point in his life, he believed in confession to a priest, but then he changed his mind. So again, I asked the same question. He made a divine claim that confession is no longer needed. Well, where is his divine credential? Hmm. Do you have any miracles that you performed? 
Do you have any prophecies that were saying you were going to change a very essential teaching of the Christian faith? And he didn't have it. So why should I believe him? Again, I'm not saying those who are Lutheran or Baptist, like my grandparents, they didn't believe sincerely. I believe they did. But I'm just focusing on the objective evidence, the credentials of why I should believe other founders of religions. So yes, the Eucharist was one, but especially confession, another one. And all of this, after I found these motives of credibility and thought about them and prayed also, because remember, that divine faith not only needs our mind to think things through, but also the grace to make us have that act of faith, mm. that strong faith. After that, I was certain this is where I'm supposed to be. And I tell you, my life changed because I can give my life to Jesus now. I can give my life as a priest. I joyfully give up uh, having a family to have a spiritual family. I, give, I joyfully give up, I practice celibacy for the kingdom and I do it with certitude that this is for the greater good. When I give out the Eucharist, I say this is the body of Christ and I believe it. When I absolve sins, I believe those words are truly absolving sins. All of these things, these things I have certitude about now, come from the motives of credibility, those divine credentials that show us where God is speaking. And he speaks through Jesus Christ and his holy Catholic Church. Mm, that's beautifully said. And uh, I, I just love, this has been a great talk. I wasn't sure what we were in for today, and this has been outstanding. And I just think it's, um, uh, I, you know, I go back to Martin Luther, one of the things I think about, because obviously there were different things that he he disagreed on uh, with, the, with the church, with the early church. And, and uh, but I often wondered, and I, maybe I'm being a little cynical here, but I often wonder even things like when he talked about we don't need confession anymore, mm -hmm. whether that was just, um, you know, kind of out of, out of um, I, I, I guess I don't know his mind to say, mm -hmm. but you wonder, it's like, well, why would you say that we don't need confession yeah. anymore? Why, what, was, what was the thing that triggered him to believe that we didn't need confession yeah. anymore? Or was he simply being rebellious against the church? Yeah. I, I don't know. And I've always kind of wondered that even with some of the, the other things uh, and as far as his beliefs go. But I think that's a great, again, we look at it with that motive of credibility and it's not there when yeah. it says we have, we have to, we, we don't need this. Obviously, the idea of him wanting to remove books from scripture and mm -hmm. you know calling James the epistle of straw and all of yeah. these things. It's the same thing. What can you show me? Because that's a divine claim you're making that you're changing scripture and I'll give you, I'll think about it if you can show me something like Jesus showed the people back in his time. But if you don't have anything, you have no divine authority to do that. Yeah. That's a really powerful way of understanding and really seeing the true faith and, and uh, giving us that, that, you know, the really, uh, that, that credibility there increases our faith. It brings us closer to know what we have is the truth, and that's a beautiful thing. And I, at this, anytime we have a little bit of extra time, if we've got everything covered on credibility, but let's just maybe take a minute and kind of share. You shared a little bit of your life growing mm -hmm. up, the fact that you attended the Baptist Church with your, your grandparents and did, obviously, the, with, attended the Catholic Church, but maybe share a little more about your faith life growing up a little bit of your call to the priesthood, that vocation call, if you would share. People I know, our listeners always like to hear the vocation mm -hmm. stories. 
Yeah, so growing up, I had no desire whatsoever to be a priest, none whatsoever. My mom made me go to church. I wasn't motivated by myself to go to Mass and go to confession, but she made me. And I'm thankful that she did nowadays, but back then it wasn't, right. it wasn't something I liked to do. Mm. But it wasn't until college time when things started to change. I tried to, I was thinking, what's going to make me happy in life? What, what do I do with my life? I was out of high school now. I got to do something. What's going to make me happy? I tried to, try to join the military. I couldn't make it in because of a flat feet. It mm -hmm. was something, looking back then, it was God's, looking back now, it was God's way of steering me in a different direction. So I thought, what will make me happy? And what I found was money. I didn't have a whole lot of money, but I knew if I could get money, that would make me happy. Because money buys happiness, doesn't it? Right. <laughs> That's what I thought. Sure. That's what a lot of people yeah. think. <laughs> so I went to Wichita State University to study business, entrepreneurship, uh, and real estate. And I didn't really like that uh, area of study very much, but I knew I could make money in it. So I went to Wichita State, and after studying there for a year, it became clear to me that money will not make me happy. I had been studying so hard, putting so much energy into making money I didn't even have, not because I liked business or liked real estate, but just to get money. That was my end. And there was something just dead inside of me, just dry. But at that time also, I started going to a place called the Newman Center. It's a Catholic campus center on the campus of Wichita State. And there, I saw college-age people who were practicing their faith because they wanted to, and they were doing it joyfully. And that was very attractive to me, very attractive. So I started going there more. I started going to daily mass, to adoration, hanging out with those people more, because I had been mostly with the party crowd. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was fun, but the party ended so quickly. The next day comes and it's all over. And it wasn't the same joy that I had with the other people who were practicing their faith, that joy that continues. That's a very attractive. And so slowly I started practicing my faith more and more. And the more I practiced my faith, especially in adoration, the more I could see clearly God wanted me to at least try out the seminary, give it a shot. So I gave it a shot and it was great. I loved it. However, just, what was it? About four years into seminary, I left. I just thought God was calling me to do something else. I thought he wanted me to be a contemplative monk. So I left the seminary. I went down to a place in Oklahoma called Clear Creek Monastery. And I, <coughs> it's, in, it's in the middle of nowhere. It's, <laughs> and I mean, no cell phone service, just rustic. Uh, away from cities it was what I wanted to do, just live my life there. I remember driving up there and seeing this great monastery and thinking, this is my home. This is where God wants me. This is where I'm going to be for the rest of my life. And just two weeks later, I drove away from that monastery knowing for sure that this is not where God wants me to be mm. because they wouldn't accept me. And I knew I couldn't make it in that life because of my flat feet.
because <laughs> they do a lot of manual labor there. Mm. And for their recreation, they walk around the hills. I couldn't do that. And I was kind of bummed, but just for a little bit, because I realized that if I physically can't do a life that I w- want to do, well, that's not the life for me. God has something else for me to do. So I went off trying to find that place. And to make a long story short, that place is here in the Diocese of Salina as a diocesan priest. God led me back here, and I know this is where he wants me to be. So what, who are some of the influences in your life as far as your vocation, just in general, but as far as your vocation goes, or some of the names mm-hmm. that maybe come to mind there? Oh, yeah. There were a lot. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was a father, uh, Chave, from Dodge City Diocese. When I went to Barton County Community College, he invited me on a discernment retreat. And that was the first time I ever went and really thought about the priesthood. And he said that I would make a good priest. I've ever, ever, ever thought about it. And I said no. And I kind of just blew it out of my mind because I had a girlfriend back then. I had my life planned out. I was going to have a family, make a lot of money, retire early. Mm-hmm. But no, he invited me on this retreat. And it helped me open, help open my eyes a bit. Just seeing that this might be where God wants me. Another person was Father Jarrett Conradi. Um, he's a priest here in the Diocese of Salina mm-hmm. at St. Nicholas. And for many reasons, but one reason is he challenged me to do Eucharistic adoration more often. I was living in Wichita, and in Wichita there's many places for perpetual adoration. And I was discerning back then and speaking with Father Jarrett, and he asked if I was doing a holy hour uh, once a week in adoration, I said no. And he told me clearly, there's no reason why you should not be doing a holy hour every week, especially if you're discerning. And he was right. Mm. That time in adoration with the Eucharist, that made all the difference. To open my eyes and see, this is Jesus, and he will guide me, and I think he wants me to become a priest. And was that when he was, was he vocations director? Yes, that, that was point? when he was vocations yeah. director of yeah. the Diocese of Salina. Yeah, that's just, a, what a great story. I, you know, I know, we, I love hearing vocation stories. Um, I, well, you mentioned that, and we, again, we still have a couple minutes, but those, I mean, obviously he was instrumental in, in your vocation. How about f- family, when, when you approached family and said, hey, this is what I'm going, I'm going to seminary. What was that, uh, what was that like for your family? Yeah. The majority of them were very supportive, definitely. Very thankful to have that support. Um, I had one friend, uh, after I told him, he said, dude, you're messing up. You're not going to get married. What are you doing this for? Like, don't do that. But he just didn't understand. And um, unfortunately, he just didn't get it. Like, yeah. If he wasn't practicing any type of faith at all, like, you wouldn't understand. Like, it makes no sense. Right. But, no, there's something more here, and this is what I need to do. Well, we appreciate you coming in. This was great, uh, great stuff on motives of credibility. And it helps us to kind of gives us even a clearer picture of our faith and that it gives us that, that certitude, if you will, to gain that certitude in our mm-hmm. faith. And I, I think that's a beautiful thing. And so, especially when, we, when it comes to the Eucharist, the source and summit of oh, our yes. faith. 
Absolutely. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you for answering the call to the priesthood. Thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in to this week's Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. Let us know what you thought of this show by going to dvmercy.com and click on the Double-Edged Sword icon. The comment button is in the middle of the page. And folks, eternity is not seen, but neither are these airwaves. But if you can support these radio waves and help save souls for eternity, then please go to dvmercy.com and click on Donate, where your donation will be seen and appreciated. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio 88.1 KBDM Hayes and 88.1 KRTT Great Band. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts.